Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series in the book of Hebrews with this message entitled, Christian Marriage. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have come together in your place, not to discuss our ideas. We have come together in your presence to hear truth, to hear wisdom, to hear knowledge of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All truth belongs to you and flows from you. And all lies belongs to the devil and flows from him. Help us, O Lord, to oppose lies and love truth. Especially speak to us from your word about your will in reference to human sexuality. Open our minds, O Lord, that we may hear and do your will. Bless single people and married people. As they hear your word today proclaimed in the unction of your Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are preaching through the Bible. And you don't find a church like this any place in the area where we delight in declaring the word of God with complete delight and total courage. We don't speak politics and philosophy, sociology, science. You can find that elsewhere. We declare God's word. So today, we turn to chapter 13 of Hebrews and verse 4. And for those who are Greek scholars, it reads like this, Timios hogamos en pasim. Kai hekoite amiantos. Pornus gar kai moikus krine hoteos. Magic is precious and honorable, and magic bed unstained. And so we translated using imperatives because there are no verbs. So we say magic should be honored by all by all and in all circumstances. And marriage bed kept unstained. That is, fornication and adultery stain marriage. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. The biblical view of sexuality. Matthew 13.4 speaks of the biblical view of sexuality. As I said, chapter 13 applies the teachings of the book as a whole. Last time we spoke from 1 through 3 that we are to love our brothers and sisters in the church and the community, what we call Philadelphia. And we are to love strangers who are coming to us in the name of the Lord from far 
we called it philoxenia, and we are to love prisoners of the Lord who cannot come to us for aid. I coined the term philodesmia. Now the fourth verse speaks of our duty to love our spouses in Christian marriage. Human sexuality is to be expressed in the state of marriage only. And married Christians are to oppose all evils that destroy and stain marriage, such as fornication and adultery. Marriage is good and sex is good in marriage. Because God is the creator of both. Therefore, all that oppose marriage and sexual relations within marriage oppose God. God must and will judge all his enemies. Satan is the destroyer of all that is good and he is the destroyer of marriage. Therefore, God judges all who destroy his institution of marriage. And he will and he must judge those who practice fornication, adultery, homosexuality, and all sexual perversions. We are told in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 that... God's people must pursue holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. So we speak about seeking holiness in marriage. So three points, marriage, sex, and judgment. First is marriage. The Puritan Thomas Beacon, B-E-C-O-N, defines marriage in the following manner. Matrimony is a high, holy, and blessed order of life, ordained not of man, but of God, wherein one man and one woman are coupled and knit together in one flesh and body, in the fear and love of God, by the free, loving, hearty, and good consent of them both, to the intent that they both may dwell together as one flesh and body of one will and mind in all honesty, virtue, and godliness and spend their lives in equal partaking of all such things as God shall send them with thanksgiving. One man and one woman freely enters into this estate. So notice Bible opposes polygamy and polyandry. Christian marriage is monogamous for life. And it may shock you this next sentence which I am going to speak. In Christian marriage a virgin man and a virgin woman pledge publicly to live together in the state of marriage. It is shocking in the modern world. 
Marriage is a covenant of companionship. It is a public and sworn promise by a man and woman to each other, which bring them into a marriage union intended to provide them with a multi-dimensional life of companionship. The scriptural purposes of marriage is not just procreation as Roman Catholics teach. There are purposes of marriage. First, of course, is companionship. Second, marriage prevents us from sexual immorality. And third, marriage is for procreation. By the way, the Bible says children are a blessing and a gift from God to be received with thanksgiving, not a curse. Children are not to be avoided or aborted, which is, of course, murder. We avoid children by ingenious technology that I don't think is God's plan. That view tells us maybe children are not a blessing. Christians marry only Christians. 1 Corinthians 7.39 Marry in the Lord. Ento curio. Yet they are not to marry within the degrees of affinity and consanguinity. That would be incestuous. That was the problem of 1 Corinthians 5, the man who was living with his father's wife. Post-apostolic fathers entertained and taught unbiblical views on sexuality. And it was also true in the medieval times when the church was unduly influenced by the Greek philosophy. Sexual love was seen as evil even in marriage. Church father Origen had himself castrated before he was ordained. Church father Tertullian thought marriage and adultery are not intrinsically different. The Roman Catholic Church prohibited clergy from marrying from the 5th century on. It glorified virginity and celibacy. As I said, the church was influenced by Hellenistic philosophy that matter is evil. In the medieval times, they interpreted the parable of the sower, Christian who brought forth 30-fold fruit. That Christian is compared to married people. And the Christian who brought forth 60-fold fruitfulness is compared to widowhood. And the Christian who brought forth 100-fold fruitfulness is compared to celibacy and virginity. Famous Ambrose thought and taught married people ought to blush at the state in which they are living. Not bless, blush. So the church prohibited sex for married people for up to five days in a week. Erasmus the theologian praised married couple who lived without sex. Bishop Gregory of Nyssa claimed that Adam and Eve had originally been created without sexual 
desire. But biblical view of marriage and sexuality opposes these nonsensical ideas of the church and churchmen. Paul comments, he praises, and he commands bishop to be husband of one wife. He teaches in 1 Corinthians 7 that in marriage, sexual relation is an ongoing debt to be paid. I was talking to a man, he's a hunter, he said, you know, Pastor, I'm going to hunt. I said, you are not going to hunt. Who said you are going to hunt? You cannot go to hunt unless your wife permits you. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he had to go and ask his wife permission. I don't know whether she granted it or not. (laughs) Because she has veto power, according to the Bible. Oh, no, man, anything. Romans 13 verse 8. The Bible says it is not good for man to be alone. So God created woman as his crowning act of creation. He instituted marriage in paradise. He solemnized marriage in paradise. Marriage was not an evolutionary idea. It was not invented by clever men. God ordained it. He is the author of it. Male and female, he created man for this purpose. Man, says Pink, is advantaged by a wife. And I say vice versa. It is a great blessing till death. If marriage is not sweet, it is not God's problem. It is your sin. And the Bible says God opposes divorce. In fact, he says he hates divorce. Divorce is permitted only for two reasons. Both reasons destroy the constitutive element of marriage called covenant. Those reasons are adultery and desertion. Except for salvation, marriage is the most momentous and precious of all earthly events in the life of a man or woman. Therefore, it is far better to remain single unto the end of our days than to enter into the magic state without the divine benediction upon it, says Pink. Therefore, one must seek the mind and will of God most earnestly. God the Father honored magic by creating man and woman and performing the first marriage of Adam and Eve in paradise. Jesus honored marriage. He was born of Virgin Mary, performed the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And he spoke of parables in terms of marriage feast. Holy Spirit honors marriage in his revelation regarding marriage as that which reflects the marriage of Christ and the church. And the church is depicted as the bride and wife of the land by St. John in Revelation 21 and verse 9. Now for marriage, choosing a mate is of supreme importance. Now if I were a girl and going on a first date, I will ask the boy, what's your GPA? Because I want to know whether he is going someplace. (laughs) 
and if it is 3.5 or below no so first that person should be a true Christian an authentic Christian born of God not a phony baloney Christian who is a Christian only in word and not in life second not just a pretty face God does not look at the outward appearance man looks at the outward appearance God looks at the heart third not just materially rich fourth not just a person of social position fifth not just highly educated or professional sixth must be industrious sufficiently intelligent and above all a servant let me read from the book of proverbs some scriptures chapter 12 and verse 4 a wife of noble character is her husband's crown but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones chapter 18 verse 22 he who finds that means you have to seek with all your heart he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the lord and i would say the same thing for a husband and chapter 19 verse 14 houses and wealth are inherited from parents but a prudent wife or husband as i would say is from the lord and chapter 31 and verse 10 a wife of noble character that is godliness who can find she is worth far more than rubies very rare so he must she must be and he must also be a person of heart beauty heart beauty not outward heart beauty first peter chapter 3 verse 3 and 4 your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes instead it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in god's sight it's a person of good reputation not notorious person known for open sin a person of good speech out of the abundance of the heart mouth speaks a person who speaks wisdom that edifies people that is a person who can speak the word of god a person who is modest in dress not a vain person a person who has godly friends you can tell about a person in terms of the company he or she keeps birds of the same feather flock together number 12 a person of a countenance that is not proud but humble isaiah 3 and verse 9 in christian marriage attitude and action must be regulated by christ's love holy sacrificial and enduring husband pictures christ's love and wife pictures pictures Christ the church's love there is the loving and wise leadership of the husband and loving and respectful submission 
of the wife. And let me quote this from Pink. I was shocked when I found it because I have been teaching this for quite some time. And I proved it to be true in this church. And he said this in the 50s, early 50s. When the wife refuses to submit to the husband, the children are sure to defy their parents. Dash, sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. Think about it. Since Christians are saved sinners, there shall be no perfection in marriage here on earth. So let's forget about looking for perfection. And if this is true, then be patient, forgive, overlook, pray for more divine love, and above all, keep your eyes on the cross. And all our problems shall be solved. One Puritan declared, Look not for perfection in your marriage. God reserves perfection for another state where marriage is not needed. The first word in this verse 4 in the Greek is timios, precious, honorable. Magic should be held as precious and honorable. And it is a command. God sees magic as precious. God authored it and honors it. The word for precious is timios. It is used of precious stones, precious jewels, the precious blood of Christ, the precious promises of God in his word. And it is also used for honor. Acts 5 verse 34, Rabbi Gamaliel, we are told, was honored by all people. Yet the word is used more often to mean precious, costly. In other words, marriage is to be seen as something most precious. In other words, married people are enriched highly. Therefore, value highly marriage. It is like a very precious mink dynasty vase. Handle it carefully. Do not break it or lose it by carelessness, by self-centeredness, by unforgiving attitude. Divorce is destruction of this very precious thing. Do everything, every day, to promote marriage. Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, communicate with one another, do all things together. Love those things that promote marriage. Hate all things that destroy marriage. Let's thank God for enriching us with our God-chosen spouse. And thank God and praise God for single people. Praise God that God will enrich you in the future and bring you into this precious and honorable estate of marriage. Post-apostolic fathers despised marriage. Medieval church dishonored marriage. When the text says marriage should be honored by all. Roman Catholic church should honor marriage and permit the priests to marry. 
Asceticism is not superior to marriage. Marriage is not defiling. Asceticism defiles in many cases. Christ's relation to the church is illustrated not in asceticism but in the state of marriage. To dishonor marriage is a sin against God who instituted it. Marriage is to be promoted by the church and state. Laws should be enacted to promote marriage, not to destroy it. And marriage should be honored in all situations and circumstances. In sickness, in poverty, in old age, in middle age. And when one is away on business, and when one is away hunting, marriage is to be honored and valued and promoted by all, in all circumstances. This is the will of God. Second, sexual relations in marriage. This is the second imperative in this verse. Marriage bed is to be kept unstained, pure, undefiled. Sex is God's creation. All what God has created is good. And the Bible teaches us that sex is to be enjoyed in marriage only. Virgins are to marry and enjoy sexual relations in the covenant of marriage. And our body belongs to God. We are to use our body for God's purposes. And single people are to take care of their body. It is a trust for you. Trust from God to you. And you are a steward. And you have no authority to abuse it. To become obese. To become anorexic. And to engage in fornication. It is an entrustment by God to you. And it is your job to take care of it. For your future spouse in a state of purity. You are to take care of this body in holiness for your future husband or wife. So any sexual relation outside of marriage is a sin against God, against your future spouse and against yourself. Yet sexual relation in marriage is not defiling but edifying and God glorifying. As I already said in marriage, sexual relation is an ongoing obligation of each spouse. So Paul exhorts married people not to defraud each other. You entered into a covenant of marriage, so one must be diligent to pay up the debts. Oh, no man, anything includes sexual obligation in marriage. Failure to do this may bring about sexual immorality. There were people in the history of Christianity who taught married couples not to engage sexual relations and so they can live a more holy life. I say such teaching is of the devil. The heretics forbid marriage. As we read in 1 Timothy 3. For instance, Montanus emphasized virginity as belonging to the state of perfection. Here we are told that marriage bed be kept pure. Not by refraining from sexual relations in marriage. But by promiscuity and marital unfaithfulness. So Ambrose was terribly wrong when he said married people ought to blush at the state in which they are living. No. 
They ought to laugh and praise the Lord for his gift of sexuality to be exercised in marriage. Erasmus was terribly wrong when he praised married couple living without sexual relations. Roman Catholic Church is terribly wrong when it prevents clergy from marrying. And it was terribly wrong when it prohibited sex for married people up to five days a week. It was sinful and stupid. And this is the problem when we rely not on the Bible but on human philosophy. Plutarch uses the words me I name coitain that word appears magis bed undefiled to refer to violation of conjugal relation. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 49 where there is a biblical reference for defiling the magis bed. It was Reuben who did this. Genesis 49 verse 3 and 4 Reuben you are my firstborn verse 4 turbulent as waters you will no longer excel this is God's judgment upon Reuben for you went up onto your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it third God's judgment God judges all enemies of marriage for God will judge all fornicators and adulterers and this gives the reason for the previous directives. It gives stimulation and motivation. Do not do anything that violates the sanctity of marriage. If you do, God will punish you. Marriage is a closed system. Close to a third party, man, woman or beast. The Greeks were very permissive. They didn't have a closed system in marriage. They had wives, concubines and prostitutes. It was an open system, not biblical marriage. God will judge all who destroy marriage. And that's why we read from the mouth of the Lord what God has joined together. Let no one put us under. If you destroy a marriage, the church may not punish. The family may not punish, judge. The community may not punish or judge. The state may not, but God who sees all things shall surely punish the guilty party. He shall punish such a person in this life and in the life to come on the last day. Besides, there is sexually transmitted diseases here and now in the body. Emotional disturbance, economic deprivations, damage to children, generational problems, and so on. You have violated God's command. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You sinned against God. You dishonored God. You sinned against your spouse. And God judges those who dishonor him. First Corinthians 5, Paul directs the man who was living with his father's wife, hand him over to Satan that his flesh may be destroyed. First Corinthians 11 verse 30 says, For this reason many of you are weak, and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep he judges fornicators fornication is sexual immorality outside of God's institution of marriage so we find in 1st Corinthians 6 and verse 18 flee fornication flee as Joseph did in Egypt he said to the temptress 
Mrs. Potiphar, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? God is watching me. Fornication is sinning against God. And he judges all fornicators. And so the writer said in Hebrews 12 and verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral. As I said, Christian singles are to keep their bodies in purity for their future spouse. If you fornicate, you defile your body and incurs divine judgment. And when you marry, you bring defilement into your marriage. This can bring about sexual frustration and unhappiness. So the biblical counsel is be a virgin before marriage and practice fidelity in marriage. God will judge also all adulterers. And what is adultery? It is sexual immorality within marriage. Those who engage in sex in violation of marriage covenant. That's what David did. And he was severely punished. God is watching. And God will judge. And God will punish. There is emphasis in the Greek text on God. Because that word appears last. That means God is emphasized. People may not judge. But God will surely judge. God himself will judge because all sin is against God. So we are told God will judge. So let's turn to chapter 9 of Hebrews verse 27 and 28. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Chapter 10 verse 13. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Chapter 10 verse 30 and 31. It is mine to avenge I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Chapter 12 verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's turn to First Corinthians chapter 6. Just one verse. There are many verses. Such as Ephesians 5, 6, Colossians 3, 5. And so on. But 1 Corinthians 6. Beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral. Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers. Nor male prostitutes. Nor homosexual offenders. Nor thieves. And so on. Will inherit the kingdom of God. And Revelation chapter 22 and verse 15. Outside are those who are sexually immoral. That is hell. So there will be judgment here. And there will be judgment on the last day. Final judgment. All shall be summoned and all shall appear. They shall be judged and sent to hell. So what is the conclusion? Oh, I have wonderful conclusion. Please listen to it. It's a great conclusion, sir. So Christians do not conform to the standards of the world. Be counter-cultural. Be counter to corrupt culture. Be the light of the world and salt of the earth. Be different. Our sexual culture is an open sewer. It stings. It says everything is okay. Pornography, phone sex, internet dalliance. Virginity despised, adultery glorified, fornication exciting, homosexuality is taught in grade school as something desirable, marriage despised and spoken against, motherhood vilified, lesbianism promoted, we can do without men. Divorce is easy and normal, incest is okay, sex with minors exciting, bestiality is fun. 
Extramarital affairs is spicy, Jesus said. If you look at a woman lusting after her, you have committed adultery in your heart. Yes, it is a stinking society, especially the Western society. God's judgment has come and is coming. Go ahead, mock God's standard. Laugh at it, no matter. The text says, God will surely judge. Yet I have good news for all fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, and all sinners of all types. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, offered a bloody sacrifice that cleanses people from all their sin. Now let me read from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins. Any sin, every sin, all sin. Chapter 9 and verse 28 So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins. Chapter 10 verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Chapter 8 verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I have good conclusion sir. Which gives you good hope. Repent truly. Confess Holy, believe savingly on this Jesus Christ who provided purification for sins by his once for all sacrifice. Confess him as your Lord and live as his obedient servants. God makes you new creation. God makes you dirty, rotten sinners once again. Virgins. Holy and undefiled, as pure, as fresh. And I was shocked and surprised when I heard, when I read this, Jeremiah 31 speaking, God speaking about stinking, miserable, wretched sinners. Let me read this, Jeremiah 31 and verse 4. I was surprised, gloriously surprised. By an adjective used in reference to Israel. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. I was so excited that God can cleanse all your sins and make you so pure as virgin. And verse 21 of chapter 31. Set up. Road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take, return, return. That is repent, return, O what? Virgin Israel. Or turn with me to the book of Isaiah and glory in what God is saying in chapter 1 of Isaiah, beginning with verse 18. Listen to this call. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like... He makes us brand new. He makes sluts into virgins. Hallelujah! Cleanses us from all our sins. See the power of the blood of Christ. Are you having troubles in your marriage? It is because of your sins, but repent and confess and forsake. He will forgive your sins and create your marriage new and exciting.
He will pour out a mighty stream of divine love into your marriage that once again reflect Christ's love for the church. 1 John 1, 7 and 9. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ is cleansing us and he's not going to be satisfied with the little cleansing. Let me read this to you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Sparkling like precious jewels which we are. All by the blood of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you. We are dirty, we are defiled, but you are holy and your purpose is to make us holy. And Lord, thank you for that work which you have done in our lives. Hallelujah. Fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, Lord, whatever sin it is, wash people, cleanse people, make us virgins, clean, as white as snow for we pray in Jesus name Amen you have been listening to Grace and Glory audio of this sermon entitled Christian Marriage come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew 